0: so start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today.
1: Hello, on this episode of Film Chat, after Sam sends me a distress signal from his laboratory on Mars, I quickly gather my loyal band of Marines and launch a rescue mission. Upon arriving at the lab, we find it overrun with hideous, super-powerful monsters who we later learn with the lab technicians but with Martian chromosomes added to their DNA. Pretty much everyone dies, but Sam managed to escape after I inject myself with the Martian chromosome to give me the necessary strength and agility to kill all the other monsters. And, oh, hang on, wait a second. I've uh, actually just confused us with the characters from the 2005 film Doom. Uh, This is, in fact, just a podcast where we talk about and review films. Uh, Sorry about that. I'm Dan Moran, and joining me is the world's foremost authority on Martian DNA, Sam Foster. Hello.
2: Two days ago, Danny and I received a mysterious pin, which, when touched showed us a strange vision. It took the form of Disney's latest blockbuster family adventure, Tomorrowland. Yesterday, Danny sat on a chair in the Prince Charles cinema and contemplated the surrealist Swedish comedy A Pigeon Sat on a Branch Contemplating Existence. Oh, it's not that, is it? it's reflecting on existence or some uh, shit like gazing that. Gazing up his own ass. I wrote the title out of, <laughs> <laughs> wrote the title from memory, uh, listeners, and, and I got it wrong. Today, <laughs> we share those experiences with you. Plus, we discuss all the latest movie news, including Johnny Depp's potential incarceration for dog smuggling and the oversized banana peel that just landed in front of the screen adaptation of stephen king's it we also nod to the birthdays of duncan jones and Edina menzel with the untold story of their short-lived collaboration on jones sci-fi film moon all that and my 56 top hints and tips for finding all the gold iron man helmets in the age of ultron video game for the nintendo wii which i've been told on good authority will make this podcast's final edit. Woo! Let's go.
1: Yeah! Yay. Podcast!
2: <laughs> Whoa! Get the old juices blowing! You want a little more clapping and cheering, Katie? Oh, oh, oh yeah. yeah! Oh, let's do this! Films,
1: films, 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 lots of films, 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 good films, bad films, fun films, sad films, films we love. Weird films, lost long, rare films, old films, new films, some John Wu films, films that star Peter Finch, films by David Lynch, films short, films six hours long. We've got films up to your gills, with films, films, films.
2: You feel comfortable chat has begun.
1: Mm. Right, so yes. uh, correspondence, I'll just go check the inbox. Yeah. Danny, I, I actually brought a large uh,
2: bag of letters that I received. Oh, brilliant. Um, with me, but it uh. caught on fire halfway <sighs> and it just burned up. It just burned burned to smithereens. So that's, I've just I've just yeah. got a few I've just got ash on my hands, that's all I have left, <laughs> sorry. Got a oh few fragments of some. Humanity set back again. Yeah, I think they're all from like young children, like asking us for, you know, visits. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> to the, I like don't know. A, like make a wish. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. That got, well, that got strange quickly well let's move on before Uh, the lawyers get involved it's been a long week okay let's move on one thing bring it back i wouldn't wouldn't describe it as a you know long item of correspondence but dougal mcqueen would like us to
1: confirm to you all that he's not a sexist he sent quite a sexist letter in but there was irony attached he was joking he was joking he loves women his mum's a woman yeah exactly he's got a woman for his mum. so um he's half woman (laughs)
2: <laughs> Genetically speaking, yeah, yeah. So you know, I liked him before I read that letter, and then I was like, oh, I read, had, had this guy all wrong, you know. Yeah, he seems like the opposite of how he is, but it turns out that was just a sort of you know thing he was putting on as a gag. So let's yeah, not I'll hold then, it against him. Let's not hold him against him. Yeah, but just straight letters for now, and please do not like jokes or whatever, Google. Please, yeah, we cannot read. We don't get it. We don't get it. We get it. We'll just think you're a dick. So sincere letters. From <laughs> <sense>. <laughs> Superhero films announced Casting rumours leaking out Emma Chamberlain's film is hated Paul Thomas Anderson's is fated Meryl Street Oscar tipped Matt Damon's in a viral vid Michael Bay's made a mint That's the news that's fit to print So, Johnny Depp news um, That's kind of news I love Depp um, I recently enjoyed watching him in the trailer for Black Mass He's doing a very acty role You know, he's like bold He's all... He's angry. He's doing that gangster. <laughs> he's neither of those things in real life. <laughs> he's a calm, hairy man uh, most of the time, so you can tell he's acting. But Johnny Depp's not thinking about that film right now. He's thinking about Pistol and Boo, It's two dogs. <laughs> there was a scandal yeah they're back stateside right No. well for you know for the unaware for those who don't follow Depp's dogs too closely he brought them to <laughs> whoever wherever you are he brought them to Australia to to take part or as company in the filming of the latest Pirates of the Caribbean film yeah um I don't know whatever that is uh. Captain Sparrow's Adventures or something and the MacGuffin of bullshit who cares <laughs> <laughs> yeah in the fronds of destiny
1: fountain of youth maybe
2: uh, yeah F- maybe yeah yeah and um, so he he was filming in Australia and he went on his private plane because he's not a man who takes passenger no. flights um, and he brought his two dogs with him Pistol and Boo whom he loves very much um, but unfortunately, you're not allowed to bring dogs unannounced into Australia. It's a very yeah. fragile ecosystem there. And if you just bring your dogs in and let them loose, I mean, what are they going to do the, to the native wildlife? Eat your baby. They're just going to affect all the kangaroos, the wallabies, the
1: koalas. Before you know it, there's a race of like chihuahua kangaroos just bouncing. Yeah, there's just tiny these mutant bouncing, dog, mutant dog kangaroos <laughs> eating all the crops and poisoning the earth.
2: Thanks a lot, Depp. So to avoid that risk the authorities descended on his dogs in a hair salon or something and like, um, took them away and threatened to have them put down unless they were deported from the country. So I think they they did leave, but the trouble's not over for Depp because apparently he could face up to 10 years behind bars for smuggling the dogs in. My God. This is according to The Guardian... On the 25th of May, an Australian Senate committee was told that if it goes to court, Depp could receive a sentence of up to 10 years in prison or a maximum fine of $340,000, which is £172,000. And his pilot could also face up to two years behind bars for his role in the situation. Officials have referred to the case as very serious. Oh my god! So it's troublesome for Depp. He'll have to leave behind all his bangles and his like beads and all the various other accoutrements. We we'll finally he wears. figure
1: out what he looks like <laughs> when they take him to prison. Like shower him down, shave him, take away the scarves and bangles, his really like, like, sunglasses. He's and like a tiny, frail man. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be like that alien in Men in Black, you know. Yeah. And we'll it's find this, it, like, behind we'll, the mask. We the might get to guy. hear
2: what he sounds like when he's not drunk as well. Which yeah. will be interesting. Maybe this, is, maybe this is the best thing for him. So you can sober yeah. up. He needs some time out of the crazy Hollywood lifestyle he's been leading,
1: you exactly. know. Exactly. Get a bit of real life in Australia's prisons. Yeah. <laughs> that man <laughs> needs to get an Australian prison stat. Get a bit of perspective.
2: I, you know, I don't have anything against him, but it would be kind of interesting if he did go to prison in Australia for 10 years. <laughs> that would be insane. <laughs> it would seem like a bit of an overreaction. <laughs> Like that doesn't seem totally in proportion to the crime he committed, but maybe his dogs really posed a terrible threat to you, the welfare of the country. I mean, like, so, good luck, Dep. Good luck, Dep. Yeah, and justice for Depp Justice it, for best. best that's a good book. hashtag because you can interpret it however you want. <laughs> oh yeah, it's <that's> <laughs> quite vague. Both um, opponents of uh, Depp's dogs and defenders of the dogs can
1: use that same hashtag. <laughs> so wow, justice for Depp Justice for Depp So what's the next news? Well, it wouldn't be Film Chat without some random comic book movie adaptation news. Yeah, let's hear it. And something quite exciting. Tilda Swinton is apparently very close to signing on to be in the Doctor Strange movie. Yeah. Yeah. Doctor Strange is the next in phase five uh, B or whatever we're on now. Where <laughs> in Marvel's plan. Marvel's plan. Bennett Cumberbatch is gonna play Doctor Steve Strange. Steven Strange. Yeah. I mean who would have thought that uh, guy was a PhD to get powers? <laughs> he's
2: like some sort of sorcerer man. He's a he's a neurosurgeon and I think this his story is that he's in a car accident or something and he something goes wrong with his hand, so he can't be a neurosurgeon. And instead he becomes Earth's sorcerer supreme. Which sounds <laughs> better. That sounds like an upgrade. Yeah. And yeah. Marvel's keeping the comic book fatigue at bay
1: by introducing interesting sounding actors into their um, Yeah. Their universe. I mean, aside from the like the story, just the idea of Tilda Swinton and Bennett Cumberbatch as like yeah. co leads in a film. I'm like, oh, yeah, sign me up Absolutely. for these pale cheekboned people. Yeah, they both have
2: very interesting looks, don't they? Strange, some might say. <laughs> That's why that might be why Marvel's latched onto them.
1: Stephen Strange.
2: Yeah. And the next one is going to be that um, who's that sort of scarred guy who crops up in all of Robert Rodriguez's films? Oh, Danny Trejo. <laughs> Danny, Tre- <laughs> Danny Trejo. Danny yeah. Trejo. I think
1: he's going to take over from Chris Evans when well, his contract runs Steve out. Steve
2: Buscemi can be in the sequel, <laughs> Doctor Funny Looking. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'm thinking too far ahead.
1: <laughs> I just like the fact that his name is called Dr. Strange.
2: <laughs> if you were That's another you one of see real, your that's
1: a real 60s comic book name. If there. you were ill and you went to your GP, it was like, i just <laughs> buzz you in for Dr. Strange. You're like, get me the fuck out of this clinic ASAP. <laughs> I'm, going, I'm, going, I'm going, I'm going, I'm taking the bus, I'm going to a different hospital. Do you, I don't want to see Dr. Strange. Dr. Strange. So you, you
2: you're telling me that you telling me that my brain is going to be operated on by someone whose name is Doctor Strange? Yeah. yeah, Strange is not a surname, is it? It doesn't inspire That's confidence. It's not a real surname. It's true. Yeah, Steve Strange. So yeah, I'm looking forward to that one. What's, what's Tilda Swinton's character name going to be? That's what I'm looking forward to. That, no, or... <laughs> I don't know, Professor
1: Barbie. <laughs> I don't know, Professor Barbie. I hope so. Yeah. yeah. I might be behind the Senate, it's disproportionately <laughs> funny. Stop
2: laughing! It sounds horrible. Katie loves to let us out the laughing. She loves to keep the laughter in. Um, so, in a past episode of Film Chat, we discussed Carrie Fukunaga's It, which is shaping up to be quite an interesting film, as yeah. they just cast uh, Will Poulter, who normally plays kind of frowny young men, as <laughs> the evil. terrifying, <laughs> evil, demonic clown, yeah. Pennywise. Um, but. That will sound very intriguing, but unfortunately it looks like it might not happen because um, Fukunaga is off the project. He's gone. He's out of there. He's just taken up his bag of directing tools and he's just left. Yeah. There was some disagreements over the budget, apparently, because it was originally going to be a two-film adaptation because it is so incredibly long. Like Stephen King loved writing it and it was like 1,500 pages or something. Right. So it was going to be this two-movie adaptation, but... Uh, maybe they weren't happy with that or they wanted him to make some quite drastic budget cuts and m- i think he wanted ben Mendelssohn to be pennywise but ben's too expensive because he's in every film now right so um that was one of the reasons for recasting is will poulter and it, Fukunaga's taken all he can take yeah and uh he's been pushed well he's used to true detective you know where he gets 13 um episodes or something you yeah. know, two films seems like that's a real meager portion.
1: You wanted film, so. 13 films, they wrestled them down to two. And, <laughs> and even then, then they just, <laughs> it's my original 13 <laughs> film plan. Ugh, I cut yeah. it down as far as it can go. It's exactly.
2: Beautiful. It's a little bit like the debates that happened around the making of Lord of the Rings, which was with New Line where that was going to be three films and it was cut down to two films and then, like, they, in the last minute it became three films again or whatever. Yeah. But I think that New Line Cinema has this history of being anxious about how many films to adapt something into. Right. So maybe they didn't get as much money for their projects as wider Warner Bros do.
1: Has anyone thought of a great pun headline which involves the f- phrase Pennywise and budget cuts? It feels like there must be a joke there somewhere. Um. That watching their pennies wisely. Oh, I see, I see. Yeah. I wish I thought this before Penny the podcast. Pennywise dropped
2: from uh, your screens. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> the Pennywise has dropped. I don't think going to make the final I cut. I don't know. Yeah. Just never improvise.
1: And now for Danny to review a film
2: he recently saw. what a staggeringly brilliant? Was it Oscar we poor How did Danny form a judgment?
1: We're about to hear his thoughts. If he does a rubbish job, then Sam will tell him off. So a pigeon sound and branch reflecting on existence. Yeah, film of the year.
2: <laughs> uh, <laughs> this is probably the, a quite an obscure title for a lot. Of, I mean, I didn't even say it correctly in the intro. So
1: yeah, it's this huge art house hit. It won the gold lion at the Venice Film Awards last year, and the director Roy Anderson is very well regarded among the bloody critics. Yeah. You know, the intelligentsia. The you know you know you know wankers. The filmocracy <laughs> and the Twitterati. Precisely. Yeah. So
2: you went to see it, right? It's on, it's on, it's on It's on the Prince Charles cinema right now. Yeah, it's on like the it's Prince the Charles. It's the longest and strangest title of the films available, so you thought, you know, great.
1: I thought, I thought once again, I'll take the art house bullet for film chat. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so I went to see this yesterday. Uh, to briefly describe the plot, such as it is, it's actually the third part in a thematic trilogy by Roy Anderson. And the film consists of 39 little vignette sort of tableau scenes, which last between like 30 seconds and 10 minutes. And the camera is completely still, and all this action takes place, but it's very constructed. And they're sort of all the uh, little sketches are in some way exploring the theme of humanity, which is so vague and big it becomes meaningless, really. I mean, it was like, what's your film about? Everything. Okay. (laughs) And they're uh, linked, sort of, by theme, and also there are these recurring characters, or these two old men who sell really shit novelty jokes, and they're like the sort of through-line characters for the whole piece. It's uh, a bit like Beckett, I think. Are the are the are they jokes like? Are they, do they translate from Swedish, or is it they always a bit sort of weird when they? No weird. Well, it's supposed to be like a sort of pitch black comedy. And one of my problems with the film is that it's not at all funny. You didn't laugh? I didn't laugh. It's, uh, I can't recommend this film. I like, it's just, <laughs> I just, like, I just don't get it. You know, the critics are going nuts for it. I feel the same way I feel about, like, a I don't know, like a breakbeat or something, like Venetian snares. You know, if, I once saw them live for like five seconds, like, this whole crowd of people going nuts. I was like, this is the worst thing in the world. It's just like white noise. And, uh, it was a bit like that. Like, if you if you get it, you'll love it, but I didn't get it, and I'm not really sure there's anything to get, really, it would be my piffy review. Okay. So, first problem is it's a black comedy, but it's uh, not really funny. I think it's so um, stilted and weird, and basically the absurdism... There's a point where it gets so absurd, it becomes sort of incoherent. It's just very hard to get into. It's like, it's deliberately shot in this very voyeuristic way. You've got like a big wide angle, and all this stuff sort of takes place several feet away from, like, your point of view. And then the actors have these, like, white powder, like, they're sort of 18th century dandies. Okay. So they move very slowly. It's like they've all been reanimated. And then they talk in completely bizarre, dense monologues at times, or react completely unrealistically to everything and then that's sort of it. It
2: sounds, it sounds like someone's um, like drama piece, like their well, kind of it's, A-level drama piece. It's a
1: bit like that, but it's like, it's obviously, it's so obviously constructed, that, and, but there's so many barriers put between you. It's like, you can't really invest in the movie. You're deliberately just supposed to be like watching it. And I'm, it's like for a reason the reason escapes me it's did, probably Do the incredible. vignettes have uh, plots to them do they go anywhere yeah I mean some of them are sort of funny on paper Like, there's the, the the one I found funniest that didn't really make me laugh was somebody dies on a ferry just after they've ordered a lunch from the canteen but the lunch is just sitting there and they're like we can't charge someone else for this lunch I'm like, does anybody want this and so like a few one guy was like I'll take I'll take the bear and, like, that's sort of kind of funny, but it takes about five minutes for this to play out. <laughs> you know. Yeah, like, yeah. And I don't know. I just, just didn't like it. It's a bit like if somebody watched Waiting for Godot and was like, I like this, but this dialogue is shit and we need less dialogue, you know. If Waiting for Godot was just the two tramps exchange, like, six lines over four hours. Yeah, mostly but, glances. Yeah, it's that sort of thing. So I wasn't really enjoying the film... Just like superficially, and but all these shorts are supposed to be some kind of meditation on humanity or something, and uh, I don't know. The basic concept of the movie is that it's ex- expressing all these truisms about behavior, but in the most constructed and archway possible. But I found this whole it's a metaphor thing just like kind of bullshit. I mean, it's really not saying very much about anything, and there's, yeah, I don't know. Like I said, it's like it's about humanity. It's like every film is about humanity. It's like why don't you just watch a Woody Allen movie? That's all about human behaviour, but there's, like, jokes and a plot and stuff. Yeah. And, I don't know. I feel like it's exactly the film a guy wanted to make, but I just... I just it's not... not the film you wanted to see. Yeah, he's not making the films directly for me. That's the problem with this director. Anderson. Anderson. I feel like it's a film where someone could sit me down and explain to me why it's genius and all this stuff's happening, but I'd be like... It's the movie's so vague, I feel people just reading stuff into the film which isn't there. Yeah. And one of the reasons I think this movie's bad is because the people who really love it um, have a tendency to talk in their reviews are like ridiculously high-minded and the metaphors are laborious to the point of incoherence and there's a lot of name-checking of things. Yeah, sometimes you feel like critics are trying to match the movie. They are Like, if they
2: review a film that they think is a work of genius, then they try to make their review a work of genius. (laughs) So, like, every line crackles and there's, you know, it's filled with references to the great artists of
1: old and stuff. Well, precisely. So I thought we could maybe end this review with a little segment of, you know, this week in bullshit or whatever. What should we call it? Suits Corner. It's like Private Eye, right? Yeah. I'll read some now. Okay, can you put on some, like, light jazz underneath this? Thank you. Lovely jazz. So this one's from Nick Fingerton on Sun and Sound. Roy Anderson is a single-panel absurdist who subverts the traditional setup and knockdown gag structure, landing his punchlines like rim shots played on a busted cymbal. <laughs> he has been compared to Tati and Fellini, though it seems to me that he has much more in common with Gary Larson and Charles Adams. Who the fuck are they? Gary, Gary Larson, Larson did the Far Side cartoons. Oh, I see. Jonathan Romney from Science Sound says The morose, sardonic genius on show in Roy Anderson's A pigeon sat on a branch reflecting on existence Plays like the melancholy inheritor of fellow Nordic miserablists August Strindberg, Edvard Munch, Søren Kierkegaard But with much better jokes Peter Bradshaw says, Each interrelated scene is a vivid, eerily complete world, perhaps like the magic lantern displays in the fawn miniature rooms at the Chicago Arts Institute, which famously inspired Orson Welles. The film's unhappy human (laughs) beings seem to have been returned from the Neverworld to enact a slow-mo ballet of sadness. Or perhaps we've arrived in the Neverworld. And Robbie Collins concludes, You just have to watch it, then grab a net and try to coax your soul back down from the ceiling. Did you have to do that? No. no. I read Ruby Collins' review, he like, loves the film, he, he, and uh, there's a bit where like, it made him laugh until he wept. I was like, you, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Look at these old people, shoving <laughs> about me!" <laughs> um, so, you'll either not like it, or you'll like it. Yeah. I didn't like it. If anything like me, you won't like it. So, you know, I guess the real question is, are you like me, listener? Work that out, and then that will be the answer to whether you should see this film or not. (laughs) A riddle. (laughs) Always join the review.
0: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today.
1: Thank you, Danny. Thank you. Ooh,
2: time for a break from all the film chat. Have a cup of tea, maybe make a quick snack. And telephone friends who you know is at right,
1: that's enough now back
2: to film chat the big movie this week is the incredible blockbuster tomorrowland it's the latest disney extravaganza it's incredible disney probably has more money than anyone except vin diesel now <laughs> um because of all their massive hits they've had and uh, the latest uh, splurge is on this movie it's based on an old, like, uh, theme park idea from the 50s. They had such a big hit with Pirates of the Caribbean on their, like, adapter roller coaster into a movie thing that they thought they would give it a go again. What else we got lying about? It's directed by Brad Bird, who you may be familiar with as the director of The Incredibles and The Iron Giant and Ratatouille. So he's mainly an animated director.
1: And Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol.
2: Oh, that's right. And Mission it's Impossible Ghost Protocol. This which is its second. Yeah, and all those movies are pretty good. Yeah, Love The Incredibles. Ratatouille is really good. Iron um, Giant's amazing. Ghost Protocol's actually pretty good as well. So, yeah, high hopes for this one. And he co-wrote it with Damon Lindelof, who's one of the... Most uh, hated
1: men in the world. <laughs>
2: <laughs> he's one of the most, like, hounded by Twitter critics men in the world, perhaps. He he co-wrote um, Star Trek Into Darkness, and he's one of the creators of Lost. Um, and, he, and he wrote Prometheus. So Yeah, and he wrote Prometheus. He's, so he, a-, he's a man who writes things for... Um, passionate nerds who will then hate him if they if he doesn't get it right and he, he seems to always be doing that
1: yeah he's got a trait right record for setting up interesting ideas and then paying them off in the most annoying, annoying yeah <laughs> like cop-out ways possible
2: yeah so yeah maybe it's you know maybe he struggles with endings and that's probably a trait which is on show again in tomorrowland so the basic story is there's a Um, very smart very earnest bright-eyed joyous young uh, girl uh, who's about 15 she's called casey her dad's a nasa engineer and they're shutting down the launch pad that he works at which is a thematic way to tell you that this movie is about crushing the hopes you know Pessimism, everyone's like trying to crush the world's dreams. And she, you know, was very young and optimistic and stuff. And uh, the adults haven't yet crushed the, you know, joy out of her heart. And she finds this pin, which gives her a vision of a spectacular utopian futuristic society full of jetpacks and exciting looking skyscrapers and rockets and floating trains and all that kind of thing and then she has to find out you know what the deal is and how to get to this place and that adventure takes her to George Clooney who's the kind of playing himself he's playing yeah he's just (laughs) (laughs) she just goes to George Clooney yeah um, and he's living alone and he used to be um a kind of engineer prodigy young optimist and life has turned him into a grouchy old man yeah living in a sort of crazy magical trap house
1: <laughs> yeah so
2: and then then you know exciting stuff happens so you can't really like i think it's one that you can't really explain anymore without just get you know getting into the real yeah, nuts and bolts of it but um yeah I don't know it's got a bit of a mixed reception this movie and i would say it got a kind of mixed reception from me as well there was a lot of stuff about it which i enjoyed and it carried me all the way through like i was having fun the whole time but i found myself increasingly amused in ways i don't think the film intended me to be
1: yeah i think it's got a lot of problems with its sort of basic storytelling yeah there's massive pacing problems uh like um from the trailers you do you think that George Clooney is like the co-lead but he doesn't really turn up until about an hour in yeah and he sort of turns up a bit too late like there's a point in the movie where that character should come in and it doesn't and uh I think there's also just a lot of going to places and not a real progression in the story
2: yeah I, I, I think that the movie falls into a bit of pat- a bit of a pattern of going to a wondrous place and everyone being like oh there's
1: an, a slight overkill of like looking at things and yeah
2: there really is there's yeah.
1: a great um YouTube mashup which is all the shots of looks of wonder from steven spielberg movies oh really that's a very spielbergian thing like look at the dinosaurs look at the aliens look at something and the movie is a bit like that four minute clip expanded with some this whole this
2: whole movie is looking at things in wonder Hmm. i mean the art of it is really cool and they put a ton of work into all of these different great things that they look at um, but it gets a little bit wearying. And you know, it's a bit wearying on the eyes. It's like eating too much um candy. Yeah. And you and you start to think like I'm a bit wandered out, you know? And then it, it ends on a moment of like more wonder, and it's like there's too much wonder by now. So you go in as the kind of open-hearted <laughs> child, being like, I'm willing to let this incredibly sunny film wash over me, and you know leave my cynical adult behind like it wants me to. But then by the end, just the child's been worn <laughs> down. He's had to nap, been and like the cynical
1: <laughs> adult is back, and it's like what the you know what is this nonsense now? Can't take it. In a way, the movie really makes itself a target by saying it's a film about dreamers and thinking big and you know embracing new ideas but the film itself is quite derivative and also quickly becomes very repetitive like there's a sequence where people uh, escape a location in a crazy way followed by the exact same sequence but slightly bigger yeah i also think that
2: um part of the problem is that the movie's argument is very thematically clear that it's about this uh um, optimism, em- over- optimism Embracing the future You've got to think big You've got to think about solutions And not dwell on like, the problems And people get too tied up on, In how everything is bad And all that kind of thing Which is a perfectly reasonable argument For the film to be making But it's purely symbolic you know. And I think that That makes it seem somewhat skin deep you know? Yeah, very much so So the, the movie presents a vision of the apocalypse Which is totally vague like not specified ever, and it also presents a vision of saving the world, which again is absolutely left completely unspecified. And the uh, symbol of um, utopian hope in the future is basically taken from the cover of sixties sci-fi novels, you know, jetpacks and all that kind of thing. Yeah, very much and so. and so it doesn't give you there aren't there's not any like hard ideas for you to cling on to. You know, so it sets up at the beginning. The, the specific pessimistic ideas are things people are worried about, you know, global warming, nuclear war, you know, crime mm. and overpopulation and, and all that kind of thing. And then it kind of condemns the people who simply throw up their hands and say, you know, what can we do? You know, the, the world's going to hell. And it applauds people who are like, let's get out there and do something. And it just stops there. Yeah. You know? and, it, and it does like come across feeling quite thin because it it's just like, you know, it, it feels more, it's, it's sort of almost a kind of new age like, everything is
1: great, be positive message, which doesn't lead anywhere. Yeah, it's... I feel the, the movie has a problem clearly defining like, optimism without... It's just like optimism and like, just uh, over-sentiments and emotion gets, like, wrapped up in one Yeah, and, like, pragmatism gets thrown out with Absol- uh, cynicism. Yeah, exactly, yeah. It's just so, earnestness. It's like, believe and it will happen. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, it's like, well, what it... And also, I feel like the... One of the big problems for the movie was, for me, was the main character of uh, Casey, supposed to be this optimist, but she's very much in the sort of uh, screenwriter trope of, like, slightly sarky teenager. Yeah. So instead of her being someone you could really, like, root for, she's always like, what? Are you kidding me? It's, like, her stock response to, like, every situation. I found. I was supposed to
2: be full of wonder. I, did, I didn't find Casey's reaction to almost anything that happened in the film believable. Yeah. She, she either seemed to be amazed by something which was just like the thing she'd seen before and it just didn't you know there's one bit where um there's a character that turns out to be a robot and she's like you're a robot oh my what the hell are you kidding me what but she's just seen three humans who turn out to be robots like in the previous scene and it's like have you not come to terms with that as a
1: concept it just it just happened when i was watching it i was always been reminded of the incredibles which obviously makes sense because brad bird directed it but the incredibles had a similar thing of like a very sort of 50s aesthetic but what i found funny is like george clooney's character is in it as a kid he's like a genius inventor and he's literally syndrome from the incredibles <laughs> he's the villain from the incredibles and it's like brad bird just couldn't shake the idea of like a kid inventing a jetpack so he'd like wrote this entire of a movie where he's the hero that's funny, and then yeah. there's a um a thing about Who are special and who's not special? But it's a bit like, why are you remaking your own really great movie with the same themes, but it's a bit shitter? like I don't know. I was constantly being reminded of of the Incredibles, and I was like, man, that's something that bothered me slightly. Is
2: that? You know, it's really easy to be an optimist embracing the world if you're a genius who can do anything yeah. <laughs> it's set up that
1: <laughs> What's K- your fucking Casey, oyster?
2: Casey is this sort of engineering prodigy who seems to be better at engineering than her professional NASA engineer dad despite only being about 14 mm. and so she's always wants you know, to be solving the world's problems and it's like well you probably could do that because you seem to be an incredibly gifted self-confident um, you know, um, person you're going to be fine I mean, what use is that attitude going to be for someone who, who's useless? Yeah, it's gonna—they're just, gonna, just gonna fail.
1: <laughs> also, um, I feel like the movie didn't really have like an emotional arc, and the obvious sort of arc was George Clooney going from like curmudgeon to yeah. somebody who refines his, you know, youth and optimism. Whereas the girl sort of stays the same throughout, and she's the lead. Yeah. So it's just like shit happens, but there's no real toil. Yeah. There's just a lot of things like you worry about a lot of things. You don't really feel like you're in safe hands. Yeah, exactly. Like,
2: exactly, yeah.
1: Should I be worried about that? Isn't the movie going to take care of that? Or was that just a mistake I have to
2: sort of brush past? It's like a film that's trying to dazzle you with the wonder, the sense of wonder so much that it just wants you to ignore like everything else. Yeah. And uh, it's hard to. Hard to for me. But I would say that it's still a lot more fun and there's a lot more like exciting about it. Um, than 90% of the other random crappy blockbusters that come out
1: and also even though it's um, based on this ride it's not really and it's just kind of cool to see an original blockbuster it's not a sequel it's not anything absolutely and I kind of like seeing the old 60s sci-fi novel
2: covers come to life that's kind of fun whizzing about in those like glass towers and jetpacks and all that
1: so yeah
0: so
2: if I had a child I would take them and I'm sure they would enjoy it so um
1: film of the week is obviously Mad Max go see that the film of the week continues to be Mad Max free rate. When I was watching gays up his own ass, I was like <laughs> I could literally be watching Mad Max right now. <laughs> <laughs> Can't believe this cost the same amount of money as Mad Max. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. Uh, anyway. Anyway So so the conclusion of the Tomorrowland review is five stars from Mad Max. Five stars of Mad Max.
1: Oh, Armad, oh, Armad, wish the Alfie was my dad. Tiny hair, fancy watch, located in my cross. Armor blow, armor blow, tell I roll acceptor Like my larger extra strength, keep my cubes a perfect length. So when this episode goes out on Saturday, it is the birthdays of Adina Menzel and Duncan Jones. Yeah. Adina Menzel, better known as Adele Dazim, of course. <laughs> yes. The Star the, um, of Frozen. Star of Frozen. And Duncan Jones, obviously the director of Source Code and Moon. And son of David Bowie. The son of David, David Bowie. It's my son. I've called him Zowie Bowie. <laughs> was that you've changed your name? Why, Zowie? <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's fucking weird, Dad. It's weird, Dad. <laughs> Dad can get a job. Uh, anyway, it's amazing coincidence they have the same birthday because they worked together many years ago. And this is a little trivia I found out from the film, working in the film industry. This um, is a unique, this is a trivia debut. Yeah. She, Dina Menzel is actually the original lead in Moon. Yeah. Two thousand nine film, which I don't know if you've seen which we'll now cast
2: with Sam uh, Rockwell. Yeah,
1: the obvious second choice after uh Menzel. And um Adina didn't work out because she just had a habit of just bursting into song and revealing plot points when she was supposed to be like just acting out the scenes. I can see how that's a problem. Um so I've got a little clip I found online <laughs> Her doing just this. Um, it's quite damning also there's a lot of sp- if you haven't seen Moon it's quite spoiler heavy so would, if you haven't seen it like, go see that movie and it yeah this is a definite spoiler, spoiler, alert. spoiler alert spoiler alert spoiler alert for, for Moon yeah uh, I'll just press play shall I
2: okay Adina let's go for another take um, remember no singing this time your line is Gertie is there someone else in the room okay so can someone get that piano please <laughs>
1: Bright among the stars tonight I'm the only guy on the base I've got a helpful talking robot It's awfully quiet out in space My job is mining lots and lots of helium free Got a young daughter I can't wait to see Wait, who's this? He looks like me. I've enough to mass conspiracy. Concealed, revealed, didn't want me to know. Well, now I know. <laughs> I'm a clone. I'm a clone. I didn't sign up for this. I'm a clone. I'm a clone. Luna Inc. had taken the cut
2: Adina, that was a he just gave away the plot through song again back to the start
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean what was she thinking <laughs> <laughs> madness from Menzel there.
2: yeah it, the, the scene is unrecognisable from the finished product
1: I know I, don't, I, mean,
2: I mean Sam Rockwell may have whistled and hummed but I don't recall him <laughs> doing a full song that sounded uncannily similar to let it go from frozen
1: i mean why why would a professional actress just go on set and just make up a song that reveals the major plot point of the film and mm. insist on singing in every scene well I, Madness. Can only,
2: I mean I can only assume that uh she has that unique problem and they just had to harness that and put her in a musical like musical contest
1: <laughs> so um that's all we've got time for yeah thanks very much for listening and May you live a long and happy life, (laughs) wherever you are. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag, say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands.